Welcome back to MinAdopts Let's Talk, a podcast that brings you valuable resources for prospective and current adoptive and foster families, as well as professionals. My name is Chris. I'm an education coordinator at MinAdopt. And I'm Sunny, also an education coordinator here at MinAdopt. Today, we're following up from a webinar Noel Palmer hosted in September titled When in Crisis, Help for Families Formed Through Adoption and Kinship. Check it out on our webinar library. It's free. For those who watched it in one way or another, Noel had great reviews and feedback from our participants, and they all wanted more Noel in some shape or form, so we're excited to have her back today. Noel is an adoptive mother with a background as a licensed marriage and family therapist. Her life and professional experiences brought her to the crisis work field, and she continues in her passion to deliver her work with an adoptive-focused lens. Noel, welcome back. Let's get started with how to create a crisis plan for families. Well, thank you for having me back. This is really, um, you know, I love Men Adopt and I love the work that you do because I love our families formed through adoption. So um, it's really an honor to be invited back. Um, one of the pieces of feedback, I believe, Chris, and correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, let's try to figure out what an actual crisis plan might look like. And <clears throat> let me just preface it with it's really going to be unique to each family because each family has, you know, specific things that are going to work for them or not work for them. And, you know, we also find things that maybe worked when your child was eight, don't work anymore when they're 12. And so it's really just, you know, trusting uh, parents and caregivers uh, to make sense of this crisis plan. Um, but these are kind of the bullet points to consider uh, when you are developing that crisis plan. And the first thing that's most important is create that crisis plan in advance. Because when we are, you know, having that day where we know crisis is about to erupt, that's not really a good time to put that crisis plan together. Um, because when we're, you know, we're in crisis or pre-crisis, um, we're, we're feeling really immediate and really urgent. So it's important to create that crisis plan in advance, which also then gives you the opportunity to consider, I use that phrase, uh, get out on ahead of things, um, to consider what's really going to work best specific to you and your family's needs. So um, we're going to just kind of uh, try to go through this. And as each family is listening to this, uh, I think maybe pulling little pieces out and breaking it down to, to come up with like a, an actual card or sheet of paper or something where they actually write down their crisis plan and they have it available for them when that crisis does occur and that crisis plan should include like the phone numbers and the things that we're going to be talking about um, so that they have it easily accessible. Okay, so the, the next thing that's really important to consider when you're developing that crisis plan is involve your child. Um, involving your child in the creation of that crisis plan will help support, and I don't know if you remember this from the original webinar, it'll help support that resistant 
disposition um, that our kids will often take when they're dysregulated. Because remember, when a kiddo's dysregulated, that cortical thinking piece and that, that top part of their brain not working real well. That bottom part of the brain is uh, on fire. And what that feels like to a kid is, I have no power. I have no power. I'm disempowered. And they take that resistant position, which is very pushback. So involving your child in that crisis plan in advance, not only does it help decrease that resistance, but it also helps to increase that buy-in and help that uh, increase that engagement and ownership um, because it was their idea. And so there's really nothing to resist in that moment. It's themselves. And that, and that gives them that sense of power, which is really what we want them to have when they are in crisis because it's when they're empowered to begin to manage themselves um, that's when we can see uh, more compliance or participation in that crisis plan okay so like i mentioned before this crisis plan is always up for review and it's always up for change it's kind of like you take a handful of spaghetti you throw it against the wall and see what sticks um, and it changes from uh, crisis to crisis. Uh, so it's really always open and up for your review and your change. Something that didn't work before might work next time or vice versa. Um, and then, you know, I like to use that example of, of law enforcement, how uh, you know, often we see a change in how children respond to law enforcement. So when they're maybe younger or maybe it's the first or the second or even the third time that law enforcement comes out there's something about law enforcement there's something about that uniform that that uh helps the the child to maybe i don't know be a little afraid or have a little reverence for law enforcement and they're able to kind of calm themselves down but then what we hear parents say is after the fourth time or the fifth time or the sixth time, the child realizes, well, nothing really happens when they come. I'm not in trouble. I'm not whatever. And then that begins to serve or not serve as a motivation for them to self-regulate. So um, that's a great example that I like to use about how something might work one time and then it might not work the next time. Okay, so again, uh, in that review process, we're also asking our child to be engaged in that process of how did that work for you? Did that work for you to know that you had your safe space that you could go to? Did that work for you when I walked out of the room to give you your space? Um, you know, getting, again, getting their input. Um, because oftentimes you and your child, you don't know how you're going to respond when you're in crisis to something. Um, it might, and, and when you're developing the plan, it might make sense for the child to say, yeah, walk out of the room and give me my space. That's what I'm asking for. But then in the midst of that crisis, when you walk out of that room, it might really trigger something in them. So <clears throat> having their involvement in that review process. Okay, so let's now kind of jump into uh, what are the pieces that are involved in that crisis plan? <clears throat> okay, so the first place that we're going to start is uh, what are the services in your county uh, for crisis response? And I do know every county is different. I hear this over and over again. Um, it's different 
from everything to if they have a crisis responder come to your home versus if you go somewhere to have that crisis assessment completed. Um, so it's really good if you haven't used that crisis line before or if you haven't used that crisis line in a while, because we all know with the pandemic, so many things have changed, um, just give them a call in advance um, when you're not in crisis. And they're, they're absolutely fine with you calling them when you're not in crisis, um, just to say, hey, I, I'd like a few minutes to speak with you about how does your crisis service work? Um, do you come to the home? Uh, typically, what's your turnaround time before you get to the home? Do I have to meet you at the hospital or a specified location? Um, <clears throat> so, well, yeah. Um, just going to ask because I'm wondering too. I mean, is it just obvious to Google your county to see if they have a crisis number on their website or? Great question. Oh. Yeah. Just Google it. Google what is my uh, county crisis lines. Um, also, I believe in the webinar that we did in helping families form through adoption, there is that link to, it might even be through DHS um, with uh, the phone numbers for all the different counties. Uh, so some of the counties actually, they're maybe smaller. And so they're using the county crisis line for a county that's near them. Um, so that's a good place to find it. Or you can literally just cheat like I do. Google, what is the crisis phone number for Dakota County or whichever county you're, you're looking for? And, um, and sometimes Google can mix things up and they're going to give you the phone number for the behavioral health department or whatever. So, you know, this is another good reason to call in advance just to number one, I guess. That's a great question. Ensure, is this the number I call? Perfect. And some of them also have uh, different numbers for children versus adults. Some of them have the same number for children and adults. So uh, if your child is under 18, you'll want that number. If your child is 18 or older, you'll want that number. <clears throat> okay, so we're calling in advance to kind of find out all the logistics of utilizing their service. Here's another thing that a lot of parents don't know that they can ask. Um, but it's perfectly acceptable to ask them if they have um, an adoptive competent provider or kinship adoptive uh, competent provider. Um, and then, you know, chances are they're not going to have somebody who's PAC certified or what have you. Um, but they may have someone who's an adoptive parent themselves or has worked in you know, the county in the context of foster care or something where they might have a little bit more experience in working with families that are formed through adoption, kinship, foster care. Um, so it's okay to ask that. Now, if you're asking that in advance, um, you can just note to self, but you're going to have to ask that again when you actually call um, because these services are 24-7. So if they say they have an adoptive competent provider, you don't know necessarily if they're going to be working at that time that you call. Um, but the point being is you get to ask that question um, because we all know um, that oftentimes traditional mental health providers don't come with that scope or that lens. Um, and then that can sometimes not feel helpful for families. Um, but all of the providers with those crisis lines, they're, they're, they're competent in assessing for risk to help you make decisions on whether or not your child should 
be transported to the hospital, uh, if you can safety plan at home, um, as well as some techniques or strategies to help try to decrease that crisis in that moment. So either way, you're going to get that piece. So if it's just an added bonus, it's that cherry on top of that ice cream sundae if, if they are adaptive competent. Um, also, any questions that you have specific to what their crisis team can do and can't do. So we have gotten a lot of calls that are like, hey, I need you to come and take my kids somewhere, bring them to a shelter, bring them somewhere else if they're not meeting that criteria for inpatient acute hospitalization. Um, and that's just not something that crisis lines can do. So if you have any questions about what they can and cannot do, that's a good time to ask those questions as well, because that's gonna help you in developing that crisis plan, knowing what they can and cannot do, okay? All right, so that that county crisis line kind of starting there, um, what, you know, in determining how they do their things, what they can do, what they can't do. A good question I mentioned before real quick is, uh, what is the typical time before I can expect someone to arrive um, if they are coming to their home? Because like Hennepin County, for example, is a very large county and it might be an hour before somebody can get to the home or in the case of what we've seen the last couple of days here, if there's a snowstorm, it can take even longer. So uh, asking that question is important. Okay, so now let's talk about the more uh, uh, urgent, uh, what are my urgent things that I can do and how would 911 or law enforcement be helpful for us? Um, couple things to start with is determine if your city has a non-emergency police number. Um, I know the city of Minneapolis has a non-emergency line um, and we have found in utilizing them versus calling 911, uh, we're able to give a little bit more information uh, regarding what's going on. They typically will spend a little bit more time with you, um, but it doesn't slow the process down because they're also contacting 911 simultaneously while they're speaking with you. So you still will get that urgent response, but sometimes that non-emergency police number for your city is, is um, an option for you that may feel better for you. Uh, all right, so now in determining whether or not we call 911 or that non-emergency police line, again, this is why it's great to think about this in advance, is really asking yourself as a part of this crisis plan, asking yourself why you're calling law enforcement. Um, what is your need? First off, if safety is an issue, right? We always say safety trumps all. Um, if your child is at risk of harming themselves or harming someone else in the home, uh, that, that pretty much answers that question because really law enforcement is about all there is to address those more you know, dangerous, unsafe situations. But then you also get to ask yourself, am I calling the police because I wanna deter the behavior or I want my child's behavior to calm down. That's a really important thing to consider. 
um, because as we talked about earlier, sometimes the first few times you call them, it does feel pretty scary to the kiddo and they it will deter some of that behavior. But maybe after you call a few times, it doesn't really serve to deter that behavior. And it becomes sort of like, oh no, here we go again, mom, here we go again, dad, calling the police, whatever, you know, and it, it doesn't serve its purpose. So asking yourself that question first, what is my need? Am I calling for safety, deterrence, uh, threat? Um, so that when you're in the midst of that crisis, you already know what is relevant to why you're calling them. And that will help you in making the decision as to whether or not uh, we need to call them first, or we call that crisis line first, or we call a backup plan that we'll talk about later. Okay, the other thing to remember is <clears throat> there's such a thing called a CIT officer. They're, they're, they're the crisis intervention team. Now, the city of Minneapolis, for example, it requires all of their law enforcement officers to have that training. I think that's the trend. I think a lot of cities are going in that direction. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you know this, I do not believe at this time that it's required for law, all law enforcement in other cities or counties. Um, so you can simply ask, do you have CIT officers and are those CIT officers available as a part of um, my need at this moment? Because those CIT officers have a little bit more training in understanding mental health issues, which is, typically why we're calling them uh, because our kids are in a trauma response or their, you know, their autism spectrum is making it very difficult for them to regulate. Um, so, so asking for that CIT officer also for the city of Minneapolis, they have a, a contract with a, with an organization that, that will send out mental health practitioners or mental health, uh, uh, professionals out to the home instead of law enforcement in when it's been determined that it's not a dangerous situation. So I think this is one of those things that we're going to see continuous change for each city and each county. So it's really important to know what's available for you regarding any kind of law enforcement support where you have that crisis intervention training or mental health professionals available in that call. All right, so here's another piece. Um, I like to have this little note in my mind. When you're calling dispatch, if you're calling that non-emergency line or you're calling 911, just remember they are not writing a narrative <laughs> and they're not sending that narrative to the police officers they're pulling out the nuts and bolts of what seems relevant for them with that call. So you can assist in that process by keeping your discussion to the bullet points that you want them to hear. Um, so some of the main bullet points that are really important is obviously emphasizing this is mental health. This is mental health related and what is presenting with that their mental health symptoms. Great example is um, we all saw a story years ago about a call with law enforcement where the child was on the autism spectrum and was mute. 
And so when law enforcement was asking them to speak back and the child was not speaking back, it was misunderstood. So what is the mental health presentation and what do they need to know specific to that mental health? Um, another great example of that is children with sensory issues and they respond very adversely to loud speaking right? That's important to know because if a child is triggered by that and runs, again, that could be misunderstood by law enforcement. And then obviously we know with some of the bigger issues that we have for our children of color, um, just providing that information um, if your child has had an experience where they're afraid of police. So, you know, just saying, um, you know, my child is afraid of police or on the other hand, my child responds very well to police. They have a really good relationship with the liaison officer at their school and they like police, right? That information is helpful. Um, when you're calling, let them know who you are and who's going to be present when they arrive. This is also, we don't think about this, but this is also very important. Um, we've had uh, situations in our crisis work where it was misunderstood who was who. And when you have sort of a chaotic and crisis situation, you, they're not really sure who they're supposed to be communicating with. So I always recommend just say, hey, I, you know, I'm the child's mother. Um, my partner is here, uh, their case manager is here, and then identify who will be meeting the law enforcement officers at the door. So, hey, I'm the mother and I will meet you at the door. And that's really critical as well, um, to meet the law enforcement at the door, again, to sort of set the tone um, and for, for what's going on here. Um, and then I think that was a big takeaway from your training too, that people commented on and liked that you actually meet them at the door and you kind of explain everything and not to calm down things as much, but, you know, just knowing mm -hmm. what they're getting themselves into. Right. I mean, we've all heard those stories where, um, you know, um, the, you know, police officers don't know what they're, what they're walking into per se. And, and then all of a sudden the child comes around the corner holding a bat right? So there's so much unpredictability on what can go on. So, so they're already coming prepared for anything like that to happen. And when we have a child say, who's not a threat to physical harm to anyone, and the police officers are coming in prepared for that, that can really change the tone of what happens when they come in the door. So if you have a mental health professional at your home at the time that this is occurring, like if you have a crisis responder there or you have the child's case manager there, that's really a good person to have them meet them at the door. So that that, you know, I, and I think I referred to in that webinar, there were many times when I met police officers at the door and they were under the impression like, we're coming to take this kid to the hospital because of this, that, or the other thing. And, and right away I was able to help them set the tone. No, that's not why we're calling. We're calling for this. So yeah, have a plan on who's gonna meet them at the door to set the tone. And so you're, when you're calling, you're, you're giving a brief explanation of what's going on. Again, bullet point, bullet point. They don't need all the details of everything that led up to this moment. They literally just need that bullet point. My child is dysregulated and destroying the home and I want to keep them safe. Bullet point, boom. Um, 
So, so you're saying that when you call law enforcement dispatch, but then you're also saying that when you're greeting them at the door. Another very critical piece, which referring to the, they don't really know what they're getting into. When you call, you be very clear. If you have weapons in the home, now weapons are more than just guns, as we know, um, but being very specific, like we do have guns in the home. They are securely locked in the gun safe. So they're not a potential risk, right? Or I had a situation one time where uh, the mother and her child were in the bathroom while the other child was outside of the bathroom trying to break into the bathroom with a large kitchen butcher knife. That would be considered a weapon. So it's very helpful for law enforcement to know if there's a weapon involved. Number one, because if there is a weapon involved, that they're prepared to make sure everybody stays safe. Um, but on the flip side, if there's no weapon involved, that can kind of decrease that heightened uh, emotion or heightened stress before coming into the door. Okay, so we've covered how can you use that, that uh, county crisis service. We've talked about law enforcement. And certainly if you guys have any questions to, for me to expound on, we can do that. Uh, but just to make sure we get through this plan, let's hit the next couple points. Um, who is my backup support? So everybody knows there's always that favorite uncle or that favorite aunt or that favorite neighbor. Um, I know in my own experience, I was so lucky and so blessed. I had two neighbors or I had neighbors together that they also were foster parents and adoptive parents. And they had a lot more experience on this when I did. They were my backup. <laughs> they were the people where I would be like, help, I need help. Um, so, you know, some of us uh, have that backup person or that backup support, uh, you know, for when they're in crisis. Well, this is a great thing to include into your crisis plan and talk about with that individual beforehand. Hey, when we're in crisis, can we call you? Can we ask you to come over? Uh, it's a little bit easier if it's a neighbor or somebody who lives close by that can get there, right? Because they're not the police. They don't have lights and sirens to come on over, right? But like if you say, for example, it was a neighbor. Hey, when we're in crisis, um, can I call you? Will you come over? Um, or if it's something that can be addressed on the phone, when we're in crisis, can I have my child talk to you on the phone? Um, all of that is really relevant and important to include any kind of support uh, that you may have outside of the typical case manager or arms uh, CTSS worker, PCA. Um, certainly use them. Um, as a part of the plan if they're present, but also any additional support that you might have. Um, I, I just wish everybody was as lucky as I was to have that neighbor. Um, sometimes they would be like, hey, I heard some yelling. I just came over to see if everything was okay, right? Like, so they were really invested in supporting me. Um, oh, and to be clear, it was my yelling, not my child's. <laughs> um, Noelle, so do you mean... Um, this backup in lieu of 911 or in addition to? Hey, whatever's going to work in that moment. Sometimes it can be in lieu of. That's a really great question because there's a concept of 
least restrictive first. Let's start with the most least restrictive plan, meaning that backup support, that neighbor, um, that even, you know, the crisis line could be considered that as well. We have a lot of families that their kids are pretty good friends with half of our staff um, because we've we've had such intense involvement with them. Um, so, so it's, let's start with least intensive, right? If there's risk involved, safety concerns involved, don't mess around. You, you call the higher level of support that you need to keep the situation safe. But if it's not, let's start least restrictive and then go up each level as per needed. And what a great idea to have a support person that could just talk to them possibly. Mm -hmm. so you don't mm -hmm. move up to that next level. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know what? That support person doesn't even have to be an adult. Sometimes it can be my favorite cousin. You know, I think about my own kid. He had a favorite cousin. All I had to do was say that cousin's name. And, and he was like, what, what can I talk to him? Right. So, so it doesn't necessarily have to be this mental health professional who's skilled in regulation skills or anything like that. It could just be that favorite cousin or that favorite friend or whatever, um, just to call and say, hi, that can diffuse a situation. Um, yeah, I just thought of that now. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right. So here's another concept um, that can be very, very helpful is, is there a safe space for either the child that's dysregulated or other family members or even family pets? Is there a safe space to go to during this crisis? And this is one of those things that you will have to constantly review um, and, and have your child's engagement in this because we don't always know how it's gonna actually pan out in the midst of the crisis. And I use the example of, they're like, yeah, get out of my space, I need my space. But then when you do that, it triggers some abandonment issue or it triggers some significant issue and it actually makes things worse, right? So spaghetti, which noodle is gonna stick on the wall and then let's review how that noodle actually worked. But having a safe space can be important in those higher crisis situations because as we know, when one person in the home is dysregulated, it affects every member in the home. And then you may have sort of that bi-directional influence from other family members or the exacerbation of the, that trauma trigger or that stress with the kid who's dysregulated by having other family members yelling or screaming at them to chill out or whatever. Um, just having a safe space for people to go to remove themselves from that crisis and or help the child themselves remove from a situation where they are potentially causing damage to the home or what have you or distance from other people in the home. So is there a safe space? I had a kid, I tell you what, this, this blew my mind. I had a kid once who created a safe space. I might've mentioned this in the webinar, I can't remember. <clears throat> using one of those big boxes that you get for moving your wardrobe or your, your hanging items, you know, it's the big taller box. He created his own little fort 
out of one of those. And he had his fuzzy blanket in there. He had his, uh, oh, what's that light that has that stuff that, oh my, totally spacing out. Like a in this a lava lamp, thank you. Good, 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 buddy. <laughs> I was thinking of a light bright. Yeah, no, well, light bright might work too, but he had a lava lamp in there, right? He had a little hole cut through there where he could put his things that he needed to plug in. And, and so he had his lava lamp in there and his fuzzy blanket and his fidgets and all sorts of stuff. And that actually, for him, felt like a really cozy and warm and safe space. And so when the parents notice that you're starting to present agitated to the level where we think we might be going down that path of crisis, um, they would talk about, hey, how about we all take a, I don't know what language they use, safe space timeout or whatever. Oh, okay. And the kid went to his little box and, and uh, went there and it helped alleviate some of the situations. So, so that safe space could be a box. It could be a room. It could be the backyard with the swing set. It could be a lot of different things. <clears throat> Again, getting your kids' involvement in that decision um, because maybe their room is not a safe space for them, right? And we think it is, so we're saying go to your room, but that's like, no, that's going to trigger me. So um, do I have a safe space for my child and my other family members and my pets uh, during that crisis? Um, Kind of a logistical thing is also we we know when kids get really heightened sometimes when they're getting into destruction of property it can be things like they broke a door or they created a big hole in the wall that can be something that is also easy to consider in part of that plan like is that safe space a little bit more durable can it sustain a little bit more damage than that flimsy hollow core bedroom door kind of thing. All right, so now we're gonna kind of wrap it up and then great if we have any questions. Uh, really, what do we do after the crisis, right? So sometimes it's like, great, we survive this crisis or barely survive this crisis. And we know it just doesn't return to quote unquote normal after that. It's very, very common that when we get into that crisis place, that crisis remains, right? Like my brain is still agitated. My child's brain is still agitated. We're still all stuck in stress mode. We don't just come down after that crisis in that moment has been brought to a non-crisis state, if that makes sense. So what are some other things that you can do and consider to implement to help support the idea of really being stabilized, right? Stabilized from that crisis. Um, because we know, like we use language here in our crisis services that um, have they returned to pre-crisis functioning? And we know that that can take days, even weeks. So what are some options for us? So obviously if you have a, a county crisis service, you can ask them about their stabilization program. Um, every county stabilization program looks a little bit different, um, but it can be about 30 days of follow-up support and it will look different how that support works, but um, that's a part of uh, Minnesota 
statute crisis services. So you can ask them about their crisis stabilization program. Do we meet the medical necessity to be able to get that program? Um, how might that be able to help us? There's also another support that less people know about, um, and that is that law enforcement has what's called embedded social workers. And what embedded social workers are is they're people from the county um, who uh, collaborate with that particular city's uh, precinct or uh, law enforcement, and uh, they follow up with the family. And that's, you know, what what are some things that we can do to support you? Like, oh, do you have a case manager? We can help get you a case manager. Oh, it, it seems like you really are needing uh, some additional supports like a skills worker, or a PCA or what have you. Um, that embedded social worker can help you get things to help support um, <clears throat> refraining from having to be in crisis mode as much. Um, also, if you have that children's mental health case manager, um, really collaborating with them and, and having them support you in tracking how often we're going into crisis mode. How many times are we having to call that crisis line or we're having to call law enforcement or how often is my child destroying the home? Um, because they keep track of that. And, and it's important for parents to keep track of that as well, because that's the criteria that helps you get higher levels of intensity of services. Um, so if you need more than that play therapist or that intensive in-home therapist that comes to the home twice a week, or if you need more than that PCA, <clears throat> that collaborating with that case manager is going to really help you know what's out there. Um, I've had parents that are like, wow, I never even knew anything about a caddy waiver. Um, and it was through repeated crisis and the child's mental health um, concerns or disabilities that opened up the door for them to get caddy services. Caddy services have crisis response. Um, and that's another little known flat fact. Um, they have, I think they're called emergency services. Um, so, so really just exploring with that case manager, what are additional resources and supports that are available to us? Um, and what does and, CADI stand for again, that acronym? Oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> something, something, disability, something. <laughs> we can Google it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always joke about that when people call us and they're like, well, tell me about this and that. And I'm like, you know what? There's like 10,000 departments in this county. And everybody does their own thing, and I don't even know how that works, but I think. But really, it's it's when it's determined that a child uh, meets that criteria for that disability, and, and then they have monies that they can use to help. That's usually how people will get, like, more hours with a PCA or things like that. Um, that's really what that waiver is to help them be able to do. Um, so... You just totally ratted me out. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm going to Google it now. Okay. C-A-D-I, if people. Yep, C-A-D-I, Caddy yeah. Wait. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right. And then here's another thing that I think sometimes we as parents are afraid to do because we're afraid of re-escalating the child. But, but when a child is finally re-regulated following that crisis, involve them 
in picking up the pieces. Involve them in cleaning up. Oh, there we go, Sunny. Community acts. I got the disability part. Community access for disability inclusion waiver. You're so smart. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so back to involving your child. So it might be, hey, there's a hole in this wall. We need to patch it. Um, having them participate in patching the wall. Have them participate in cleaning up the mess. Have them participate in fixing that broken chair. And while you're doing it, obviously not like making it real punitive to further deepen that shame that they feel about not being able to control themselves, but more in the respect of like, you have the ability to do this. You have the ability to begin to cleaning up your messes, which sends a deeper message with the child. Like, oh, you know, and they, so I had a kid once who was pretty darn proud of the fact that he patched the wall. Um, not the best uh, mudding and, and pasting that I've ever, or mudding and, and uh, taping that I've seen before, but he was pretty darn proud that he did that. And that it served as a reminder for him, like, hmm, maybe I don't want to punch a hole next time. Or it might work in the reverse, like that was pretty fun. I want to punch another hole in the wall. I don't know. But, you know, just involving them in that, you know, picking up the pieces. That's very empowering for a child. Okay, so tying it all up before we move to any additional questions, just getting out on ahead of the crisis, uh, developing your plan, involving the child, um, putting the bullet points somewhere visible for the family if needed um, to get at a, at a quick moment's notice, um, asking all the questions beforehand with your crisis services, uh, if, they have, if there's a non-emergency police line, um, any sub backup support, um, and making that plan in advance. Um, <clears throat> and then remember that it's a crapshoot. So if you try it and it doesn't work, that's okay. That is okay. Live and learn. You Okay, so that didn't work. Let me try this this time. So, you know, there you have it. Yeah, and I think it's important, like you said, do this now while you're calm and in a state of mind where you can think about things and think about what may or may not happen, who should be on your list, because I know when people are in crisis or you're stressed out or whatever, I'll forget my name. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, just writing those things down so you have that list is so important. You know, and that, oh, go ahead, Sunny. Oh, no, I should say this is great because it's almost like an old fashioned fire muster plan. Where we're right. Meet, you know, so this is, this is fabulous. Thanks for all the information. Yeah. And, you know, Chris, you, you triggered something in my thinking process here. It's also very empowering for the parent um, because when we're in crisis, we're also having that same stuff going on in our brain. And we're also having that cortical thinking part of our brain kind of shutting down on us. And so we oftentimes, we use this language a lot with our families formed through adaption. We're experiencing our secondary trauma from the trauma of our child, right? And it, it's just this, uh, back and forth triggering of each other. So when we feel some comfort and confidence in our plan and we have bullet points to go to 
that's empowering for us so that we also don't get lost in that crisis. Um, so I think, you know, we're doing this for our kid. We want to support them to be able to manage themselves so they can get re-regulated. Well, having this plan is going to help us as parents do that as well. Right. And getting those, those numbers and the county contacts just to know what's available in your area is so important, really. Mm-hmm. This has been a super, I mean, you've made crisis planning fascinating and I could listen to you all day long, Noel. <laughs> well, you know, I got some time. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we'll have you back for, you know, people will listen and have more responses about how great this was. And Well, yeah. and I, you know, I'm always welcome to, uh, even questions, follow-up questions. That's always really helpful. You know, when you, you're like, hey, let's, let's do a webinar on let's develop that crisis plan. You know, I, I have my experiences, but I certainly don't have everybody's experiences. And there's things that I know I'm not thinking about. So any of that feedback is also really helpful for me if we're going to do something again or something that we want to further develop. Um, that's also very helpful for me as well. Yeah, well, this has been great. So I want to thank everyone for listening and thank you for your time, Noelle and Sunny. Well, thank you. And I want to let our audience know that MinAdopt is ringing in the new year with a new youth series throughout January. The free webinars are geared towards youth 12 and over. Parents and professionals are welcome to attend. Go to our website, minadopt.org, and click the Education and Adoption tabs. Thank you so much for joining us today for Let's Talk. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to our podcast, and tune in again soon.